Didn't they do a good job this morning? Tremendous. They'd have done a better job if Doug was here, right? Amen. We miss Doug. Wish he was here today. Doug, you're supposed to be listening now. You've got to be taking notes. I'm going to check and see if you're taking notes on my sermon, so you make sure I'm going to check with you when you come back. We appreciate you being here. We've got some visitors with us today. We're glad that they're here as well. We're thankful that all of you are here. This morning we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that comes from uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 9 through 27. The context of the scripture is David sinned. Uh, He did something God didn't want him to do, and so God sent a plague on the land. It didn't just affect David, it affected everybody. We think about that and we wonder, why in the world would something like that happen? Why why did David's sin impact other people? Uh, And why why did the consequences of that touch so many lives? It is to remind us that sin always has consequences, and those consequences are far-reaching. They reach far beyond our own lives, but they impact the lives of other people. You have experienced in your own life when someone else did something that hurt you or impacted you or your family. And so your sin always has an impact far outside your own life. So I'm going to read this long-involved passage of Scripture. It's necessary that we read it to see the story as it goes. And then we're going to take this story and we're going to plop it right into the middle of 2020 as complex and messed up as it is. Verse 9, 1 Chronicles 21. Then the Lord spoke to Gad David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says The Lord choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress Please let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hands of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. As he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel, who is destroying, it is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your Lord, I pray, O Lord my God, let your hand be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be plagued. Verse 18. Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel, 
and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. But Ornan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and he went out from the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar on it. You shall grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself, but let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings, which cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place, and David built an altar there to the Lord and offered burnt offerings. And he answered him, God did, from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. So the Lord commanded the angel, and the angel returned his sword to its sheath. Now, let me just tell you that this is a significant moment in, the, in, the, in Scripture for several reasons. Number one, it's on Mount Moriah that this happens. Mount Moriah is the spot where uh, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, and God provided a ram for the substitute. This is that spot. Mount Moriah is the place because of this moment in Scripture. When the fire of the Lord fell in the very next chapter, David said, X marks the spot. I'm paraphrasing. He said, this is where we're going to build the temple because this is where the fire of the Lord fell. And so the Mount Moriah is the place where David offered the sacrifice. Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham offered Isaac. And Mount Moriah is the place where the temple stood in the time of Jesus. That's very important for us to remember uh, that this spot is a holy spot. But what we're going to see today, the title of the message, as you may have seen on the screen earlier, is the title of the message is Standing in the Path of Wrath because all of these people are standing in the path of wrath, in the, in the, in the path of God's judgment. David was the one who had sinned, but it's clear from Scripture that all who were with him were in great danger. This plague swept the land. And when the plague swept the land, at first it may have seemed to us, to some, that it was just a fact of life. But there were those who were with David who saw the, who saw the angel. David saw the angel and his sword. And they realized that the plague that was then sweeping the land was an outward manifestation of God's judgment against sin. Now we stop and we think about today. How does this story apply to us today? Here we are living with this virus that continues to sweep the globe. What should we call it? I'm going to have some suggestions for you. First, we ought to call it a fact of life because that's what it is. The virus is bad. It's contagious. In some cases, it's deadly, but it's a part of life. It's one of those things that makes us see how fragile we are, and it makes us aware that there's some people in our society, some of us among them, are more fragile than others. Second, it makes us aware that death is real. Death is a fact of life. If you'll notice, if you watch the news every night, I was watching last night waiting to see the scores of the ball games, and up, just like every night, comes the virus scoreboard. So many cases in Jackson County, so many cases in Harrison, so many cases in Hancock, 
So many cases in Pearl River, so many cases in Stone, so many cases in George, so many died. You know the story of the scoreboard of COVID. As a matter of fact, even in the presidential debate, if you watched it on Thursday night, much was made of the fact that over 200,000 people have died of COVID. I believe as of last night when I last looked, the number was up around 225,000. We were even we were warned that even more might come, that we might live through a dark winter. That information also comes from the CDC that we ought to expect more deaths from this virus. So we're trying to figure out what this is. It's, it's a fact of life. It's a, it's a reminder that death is real. But what you didn't hear Thursday night on the presidential debate and what you will not hear from the news is that the deaths that result from COVID are only a fraction of deaths in this country. In fact, if the Center for Disease Control promoted the actual number of deaths in this country, we might all sleep a little less easy at night, and we probably should. We've waved the flag of COVID so that everybody in this country is scared to death. Some people too scared to go to work. Some people too scared to go to school. Some people too scared to go to church. Everybody just a little bit anxious. We've been told that we need to listen to science, to listen to the experts. So what is it the experts aren't telling us? Well, one of those candidates in the debate should have given us the real facts, the facts about what goes on in this country every day. Because every day in America, a plague sweeps this country. It's the plague of death. Consider the following statistics from the experts, the Center for Disease Control. This is their statistics on the number of people who died in 2017 and who die on an annual basis in this country. How many people do you think die in this country every year? I mean, is COVID, is COVID a big number? The 200,000, do you think twice that many die, three times that many die? You think a million people die in this country every year? In 2017, two million. 813,503 registered deaths are recorded by the Center for Disease Control. Now, that means that this year, we're probably going to have a little over 3 million deaths resulting, adding COVID number into the total. There are 3 million people are going to die. Every year, 2.8 million die. This year, 3 million people are going to die. That's a number larger than the population of the state that we live in that will die this year. Those are the facts. Those facts don't negate the virus, but it tells us that COVID represents only, at this point, only 7% of the total deaths in this country. 3 million people will die this year, probably next year, even if we get a vaccine for COVID, and they die every year in this country. If we want to believe that COVID is the judgment of God, then it's only a small fraction of it. Because the Bible reveals that every death, every death is part of God's overall judgment against sin. When somebody dies, whether it's you, me, somebody else, it reminds us that the wages of sin is death. The death that swept David's world in the time of uh, in the time of David came as the judgment of God. It was the judgment of God against sin. It was spreading before David's eyes. He and his men, Jer the city of Jerusalem, that farmer and his sons, were all in the path of wrath. 
Imagine if just one of those presidential candidates had stood up Thursday night and said to the millions of people listening, the wages of sin is death, and because of that, about three million people are going to die in our country this year with or without COVID. Every time somebody dies, it ought to remind us that the wages of sin is death. Now, that's the, that's the news. The news is, the news ought to be, every night that we turn it on, this country and our world and all of us who are in it are standing in the path of God's wrath as surely as was David, as surely as was Jerusalem, as surely as was Ornan and his sons. But the good news is that they were also standing at a point of compassion. They were standing in a moment of mercy. We go back to verse 14. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel, It is enough now, restrain your hand. And the angel stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. What does that mean? It means simply this, Ornan was next. He was within a hair's breadth of God's judgment. That's how close it was. He was the next in line to fall. He and his sons, his family, and people after him. But for God's mercy, that destroying angel would have swung his sword and reaped a harvest of judgment against David, against Jerusalem, and against Ornan and his family. But there was a pause in the pouring out of God's judgment. In this moment, they were standing in a moment of mercy. You remember the story in the Old Testament of Noah when God destroyed the world by flood? The Bible says that... Uh, God warned Noah. God, God, Noah was the only person God warned, right? It says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But the Bible also tells us that the spirit of Jesus in the New Testament, the spirit of Jesus was preaching through Noah. Every lick of the hammer, every message that Noah gave that a flood was coming on the land, that God was warning those people, reminding them that they were standing in the path of God's wrath, telling them that there was a moment of mercy for them, that they could get on that ark should they so choose, although none of them did. And in that moment, the Bible tells us that the patience of God kept waiting, for God desires that no one perish, but that all should come to repentance. But God does warn that the soul that sins must die. Did you know that the experts also tell us that in this country, one person dies every 12 seconds? That's without COVID. Every 12 seconds. Do the math on that if you want to during the course of a one-hour sermon. It's not going to last an hour, by the way. But should it last an hour? That's five people every, what, five people every minute. And then that's 300 people every hour. Multiply that times 24, and you get the picture. Every second of every day, the judgment of God sweeps the land. But right now, if you're listening to this warning, if you're listening here in this room, or you're listening on the radio, the mercy of God is waiting for you to respond, repent of your sins, and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. But time is running out. So... David and his men and Ornan and his family in the city of Jerusalem 
We're all standing in the path of God's wrath. You and I are standing in the path of God's wrath. But thankfully, Ornan and his family, and here's where we want to put our focus down, is on Ornan and his family. They were at a moment of mercy. But number three, they were standing dangerously close to the judgment of God. Where do you stand in relation to the judgment of God? Have you thought about that? Here was Ornan, a hair's breadth away from God's judgment. Somebody in this nation right now is 12 seconds away from the judgment of God. In other words, they're going to die. Sin is, the wages of sin is death. Somebody's going to die as the overall judgment of God. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Peter said in the last days people are going to scoff at God's message. They're going to say, hey, this has been going on since the beginning of time. Everything's just the same. None of this is going to be true. God's wrath is not going to fall on this world. But Peter said, don't let this one thing escape your notice. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Why is he long-suffering toward us? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Somebody in this country is 12 seconds away from an appointment with the judgment of God. They may be on a plane. They may be in a car. They may be in their bed. They may be in their recliner watching a football game or listening to a sermon. They may be in the hospital. They may be out mowing their lawn. Some of them might, might even be in church, but death comes. The wages of sin is death. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So, where was Ornan? And what was he doing as he stood in the path of the wrath of God? The middle of verse 15. The angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword reached out, stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces, and David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who sinned and did evil indeed, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that he should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel. And his four sons who were with him hid themselves, but Ornan continued threshing wheat. He's a hair's breadth from the judgment of God. And yet he appears at first unfazed. What good is a harvest of wheat if you're about to be swept away by the judgment of God? What good is a ball game if you're about to be swept away by the judgment of God? What good is more money in the bank if you're about to be swept away by the judgment of God. You know what? In the New Testament, Jesus warning people of the judgment that would fall in the last day. He said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 17 and 18, he said, if you're on the top of your house and you see that judgment coming, don't you go back down in your house and get stuff out. If you're in the field, don't you run back to your house and get your cloak. Judgment is about to fall and all those things are about to be destroyed. You need to evaluate your priorities. So here Ornan and his sons standing frighteningly close to the judgment of God. And so because we're focused on Ornan, I want you to see the decision he made. He came to a moment 
of surrender in his own life. Was it better to hold on to what he had? Was it better to focus on his wheat harvest and what he might be able to salvage or to give it all up? Verse 21. So David came to Ornan. Ornan looked and saw David, and he went from out from the threshing floor and bowed down before David. Remember, David is his king. Bowed down before, bows down before his king with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, I need your threshing floor. I'm going to have to offer a sacrifice. So I'm going to need it. I'm going to need you to give it to me. I'm paraphrasing. And Ornan, looking at David and talking to David in that moment, said, Okay, I'll give it to you. I'll give you my harvest. I'll give you my land. I'll give you my animals. I'll give you the wood so that you can build an altar and make a sacrifice. I'll give it all to you. And, of course, David said, well, I, we'll do this in another way. But essentially, when Ornan sees the gravity of the situation, he chose surrender. He chose to release what he had into the hands of his king. He was ready to give up everything he owned to escape the judgment of God. What is it that God wants from you in the wake of judgment? He wants it all. Listen to what Jesus said in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Jesus, and I like this story because it illustrates it so well. It illustrates the point. And Jesus was a master at that, and we've just lost that with time. But Jesus said, so, you've got two kings. One of them is coming against the other one with overwhelming force. He says, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider where he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? He looks at the king coming with overwhelming force and says, there's nothing I can do. I'm standing in the path of wrath. He's going to overwhelm me. He's going to destroy me. There's only one thing I can do. And Jesus said, while that other king's a great way off, he sends a delegation and he negotiates peace with that other king. You know what the very next verse says? Jesus said, so then. No one of you can be my disciple unless he's willing to give up all his own possessions. When you realize that you're standing in the path of God's wrath, and yet you're standing in a moment of mercy, frighteningly close to the judgment of God, there's but one decision that you can make, and that is absolute surrender to King Jesus. And say, Jesus, I give everything up to you. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. So in the story, Ornan escapes the judgment of God, but how did it happen? What, what made the difference? Did Ornan buy his salvation by selling his land to David? That's not how it happened. He did do that. But what we have in this story is a picture of the gospel. Because this is a picture of what Christ has done for us. Verse 24, Then the king said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price. I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings which cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place, and David built there an altar to the Lord, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called on the name of the Lord. So the Lord answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of the burnt offering. So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to his sheath. Ornan's 
peace with God came at the expense of another. The king paid the price. David took the cost on himself. David offered the sacrifice that God accepted and honored, and as a result, the angel of the Lord holstered his sword. The threat of God's judgment no longer hung over Ornan and his family. I simply remind you that salvation from God's judgment only comes through the sacrifice of your king. Jesus Christ died on the cross, sacrificing himself to pay for our sins. That is the only sacrifice that God accepts and honors. That is the only sacrifice that will deliver us, according to Scripture, from the wrath to come. Death is still an expression of God's judgment. And even though Jesus died on the cross, every 12 seconds, the wrath of God sweeps our land and somebody dies in America. Those who die without Christ died without Christ needlessly because they are standing in a moment of mercy when the door of salvation is open. But once you pass, that door is shut. But there are some of you listening today who've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior who today need to surrender your life to Him because He's the only one that can open the door of salvation to you. Would you pray with me?